ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Shit, if someone ever says to me, oh, make it go viral, I just know viral. that they can utterly get fucked. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. Happy New Year. Hey, welcome back. Can I say Happy New Year on the 1st of February? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I think so. It's nice. It's our first bang. It is. It's our first bang. Well, it's not a bang back. It's our. Yeah, it is. That's confusing, isn't it? (laughs) We've worked ourselves into a back. (laughs) It's our first bang on back. Welcome back. With the bang fam. Yeah. How has your holidays been? How has your summer break been? It's been good, thank you. It's been nice and restful. I've had, you know, kind of staycation, so I've been reading lots of books, doing little day trips to the beach, seeing lots of friends and family, rested and being okay with rest, which is something as I get older I'm fine with and really value. You know when... Because you're a hustler too, Miv. You yeah. know, when you're younger and you're like, you feel guilty for not doing anything on the weekends or even on a weekday during your holidays, you've mm. always got to be doing something, achieving something. Oh, that's gone. That, that went long ago, <laughs> really. <I'm... laughs> it's a good feeling and really feeling the benefit of rest. It's just like yeah. a whole new world. Everybody needs rest. It's how we replenish. It's like sleep. You, you can't function without enough sleep. That's when all your cells replenish. So if you're too social and too active and too busy, busy, busy with work, then you're just not replenishing yourself. You need time to sit down and watch 74 episodes of whatever crappy reality TV show you're into at this point in time. It's perfectly justifiable. It's for your health. Related, I know that you're treading the boards right now. You're in your final week of Rocky Horror in Newcastle, but have you committed to maths for the new season, which has just kicked off? No, this is a thing because I'm working evenings. Um, We do eight shows a week and goodness me, I know I did this last year, but I forgot how gruelling eight shows a week is. And especially now that I need my rest even more, um, it's full on. Like I'm just tired all the time. Like I'm tired. I'm tired. I need a glass of wine. I'm tired. I'm tired. But it's been heaps and heaps of fun and it's been beautiful to be in Newcastle. But it also means we're doing... um, We do Tuesday to Friday evening shows and then Saturdays and Sundays we do two shows a day. So there's four shows on the weekend. So there's no time for maths unless I'm home on um, Monday night and that's it. So I'm going to have to do a bit of catch up, I think. So um, look, I'm actually looking forward to it. You know, it's my favourite time. I know, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I look forward to you watching it for me as well. Yeah, and I I get to see just how awful people really are. I mean, I think that's why we watch maths, isn't it? Oh yeah, to make us feel better about ourselves and our own yeah, situation, and our own and our own relationships and and whatnot, and how we we behave. Um, yeah, it's a it's holding up a mirror to society, and then you just get to sit in a you get to sit in a cozy couch and gloat that you're not them. So you know that's essentially what it is. Hundred percent. In between all of your busy work on stage, have you gotten a break? How's your summer been? Well, no, I didn't really. I got COVID at Christmas, so that was fun. Oh, that's right. You did. You poor thing. Yeah. And then uh, pretty much New Year happened and then I was on my way to Sydney for rehearsals and here. So not much of a break, but that's okay. I, you know, my work comes and goes, so I get little breaks intermittently through the year. So I don't mind, you know, it's it's the, the nature of the freelancer. You just have to fire up for a certain amount of time and then you get a break and enjoy that. So, yeah. Well, it's going, it's going to be a very interesting year or at least first six months of the year for you and I because we're taking Bang On out on the road in... Oh, my goodness. This is like so th- exciting. three weeks' time. It all kicks Can off you believe in Adelaide. It? Show one in Adelaide. 
Oh. <laughs> We're doing it as part of the festival, which is extraordinary. Who to thunk that we'd be there? We've got two shows and um, at super the beautiful excited. Spiegel tent as well. I know it makes us legit, Zan. <laughs> have you have you thought about that? Like you know, you've I've seen shows in there. It's it's profesh comedians and whatnot, and now there's us. And um, I cannot wait. There will be wine time. There will be wine time. Yeah, and I'll be probably be tired. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. There'll be chairs on stage. You'll be fine. There'll be chairs. I'll be fine. fine. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. There's actually two yeah. big shows in Adelaide as a part of Fringe on the 24th and 25th of February. But if you missed out on the news, because I saw someone post on my Facebook the other day, hang on, when are you going to do Bang On Live? I'm like, babes, announced last year. We're going everywhere too. We're going to be heading back to Newcastle for you, Miff, pretty soon. That's right. We're going to Perth, Hobart, um, Bendigo. We'll be in Canberra, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Geelong, Wollongong, Cairns, Terrelgan and Wyong. We shit you not. We're going everywhere Mm. and it's going to run from the end of Feb through to July. But I just wanted to give a heads up. Some of those shows, the tickets are are very close to selling out. Like it's That's amazing. It's crazy. So hop to it. If you want to be part of what is the biggest Bang Fam reunion ever, we'd love to see you there and all the details will be in the show notes. Um, they're in our socials. It's going to be and, so fun. Thank you to everyone who's bought a ticket already. Yeah, thank you. I gave it as a Christmas gift and if you got forgot someone at Christmas, maybe you can get it for their birthday. That would be awesome. They can come along. We'll, we'll make sure they have a good time. Um, and we've been planning too what we're going to do for the show, which is obviously, you know, it's still a podcast. We do s- s- what you know and love about Bang On, but there, there are a couple of other little elements we've been... We've been working on, may or may not involve fashion. <laughs> Maybe. I think it will. It's going to be good. There'll be prizes as well, won't there? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> prizes for fashion. <laughs> oh, it's going to be very, very fun. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. But it's been another big week and there's so much to get into uh, across music, art, life and stuff. Ha- absolutely huge story that dropped yesterday, which I was trying to get my head around. And if anybody else saw this and was like, what does it all mean? Did you hear about Universal Music Group, which is the biggest music group in the world, the biggest Mm. licensor of music in the world, holder of the biggest rights. They've basically fronted up to TikTok, who are about to, well, as of today, end their three-year deal that they have with them and said, if you don't pay us more and pay the artists more, we're Mm. pulling our music from TikTok. Mm. Massive throwdown in the music world. One of the biggest stories I think I've seen in the music industry of recent times. Yeah, it's... um it's really interesting. I mean, you, we know everyone's on TikTok. It's a huge outlet for artists if they get picked up on there and, and, and obscure artists as well often get picked up and, and things go viral and, and all of a sudden they've got a hit on their hands or older hits or whatnot. So there's a lot, a lot of artists who will be affected. Really, really big artists. Huge. Yeah, like Taylor Swift is on there, um, Drake, Billie Eilish, Troye Sivan, Kendrick mm. Lamar, Elton John, Coldplay. It's pretty much some of the biggest artists that draw in the biggest revenues and also have the biggest audience bases in the world. And you're not going to be able to use any of their music and hear any of their music on TikTok from today. Mm. And TikTok have replied, haven't they? Yeah, it's an interesting response because as soon as I saw this, I was like, in terms of a bargaining chip, this is a massive throwdown. What are they going to do? TikTok have often been quite tight-lipped. You don't really know much about the company. They don't say a lot publicly. But overnight, um, they came back with a response. It's pretty brutal. It's really brutal. Universal's open letter was quite significant. They'd not just addressed the 
licensing fees and how much they're paying in terms of rights. There was a couple of other things which I'll get to in a minute. TikTok have responded really to none of that and they basically said, it's sad and disappointing that Universal have put their own greed above the interests of artists and songwriters. They've called it a false narrative and they said that they've basically walked away from the most powerful platform that serves as free promo and discovery vehicle for their talent. So they're using the same thing that artists have been told and creators have been told for time immemorial. If you give us your art for free, basically, or for not much money, then we'll give you exposure. Yeah. We've all heard this as creatives. Be and an it intern, sucks. work for it free. Sucks. It never ends. <laughs> oh, can you come and talk at my thing? Everybody else will get paid but you. <laughs> it's like everyone who works on the thing gets paid but you, but we give you exposure. Be good it, for it, your career. It absolutely sucks. But the, for me, the, the interesting thing with all of this is Universal is saying to TikTok, you're not paying us enough, but then saying not and not paying the artists enough. When let's be honest... Universal is a major record company who could also be accused of having not paid their artists the correct amount over various years. I mean, there's, I mean, the list of artists who've probably been done over by record companies is endless. And so it's almost as if they're now saying, well, we don't do that, but you're doing it. But they have a history of doing that. And I, I just think it's, you know, the whole thing's really interesting. And the fact that TikTok have, have bitten back shows, I guess, the lack of power of these old structures in this new contemporary world. And I think the re- whatever happens next is going to be really interesting because in a way these big kind of, I guess, towers of power, you could call them, have never been really questioned before and they've had a lot of, you know, a lot of wiggle room and a lot of, a lot of power to do whatever they want. But TikTok's just kind of turned around and gone, no, nah, sorry. Yeah. I think that, so I think it's really interesting. Well, at the, and, and as with so many of these conversations, withstanding all of those massive artists I mentioned, most of the artists in the world, except for that tiny one percenters, are artists that don't have that sort of platform. And again, they're at the bottom rung of that ladder, aren't they? These are conversations mm. that happen with massive companies where the trickle-down effect of where that money goes by the time it reaches most artists is a fraction of what is paid in the first place. And so once again, artists are left at the end. I think a lot of the artists as well um, that are on Universal had no idea this was coming. I have no f- proof of this, but I'm wondering whether Universal told some of their biggest artists, people like Taylor Swift and her team. Surely they would And said, hey, Surely. heads up, this is going to happen, just to give them, you know, keep their head of the game. But they wouldn't have told all of their artists, even if they did that. So artists, once again, are kind of left on the on the back foot. And you think yeah. about, like, artists like Florence Welch and, and Halsey and other artists who have spoken out publicly about how they hate being forced, being told to... Get on TikTok. Do, get on TikTok because you need to do Because it must career. suck. It just must do suck. Do stupid too. videos and just yeah, kind of. Yeah, go viral. Go viral. I mean, shit, if someone ever says to me, oh, make it go viral, I just know viral. that they can utterly get fucked. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. I'm not that person. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so stupid to ask of somebody who has no background in that to do it. Just get fucked. But now those artists are being told, oh, we're going off TikTok. Yeah. So, so it's don't like, do what anything. What do you want? <laughs> I know. That's what I mean. It's around. a really interesting time. It is a fascinating time. I'm watching this very closely. I think it's, it'd be interesting to see what other labels do. Warner just signed a multi-platform, multi-deal with TikTok last July. Sony, which is the other big 
label haven't said anything yet. But, yeah, what will other labels do, big and small, and, and, and how will they deal with this kind well, of showdown between TikTok and Universal? I reckon the thing is they'll have to band together if they want to have any power. One company They'll have to unionise me. Well, yeah, one company <laughs> does not wield it. For, and, and goodness me, if they actually have to, you know, unionise, that would be probably first <laughs> for record companies, you know. It's, it's yeah, things are, things are changing rapidly. And it's interesting. Well, yeah, speaking of things changing rapidly, one of the things that I found quite interesting about this argument and Universal Music's open letter was that they didn't just take issue with the financial compensation of the rights to their music, but they also talked a lot about AI. And you would have, I think we've sort of spoken about it, and if you're on TikTok, you'd know this, on any kind of social media, there's this sort of flooding of AI-generated recordings Mm. happening. There's fake Drake songs. There's all that sort of stuff. And TikTok actually, you know, provides tools to sort of enable that, to promote it and to encourage it as well. And Universal have said this is bullshit. You know, you're basically sponsoring... uh, artist replacement by computers, by AI, by artificial intelligence. And then the other part of it is visually all these deep fakes that come out of AI. Mm. And I thought that was interesting in a kind of week that about a week ago you might have seen the story that these Taylor Swift deep fake pornographic images popped up on on X, formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, let's not call it X. Let's just <laughs> Every it's time I say be, it, it's never going to be when anything talking else. about pornography. Deep fakes, like, exactly. What <laughs> Club I mean, X. what person, um, Elon Musk, thought <laughs> that X is a great name for a social media site? Like seriously, it just sounds like a porn site. It does, and it's embarrassing to have it on your phone. It's like someone sees it. I'm just looking at X. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about Elon. The the story around this was it's quite a full on like basically it spread rapidly through Twitter. Um, Forty seven million views of these fake uh, pornographic images of of Taylor Swift. The Swifties stepped up and tried to flood it the other way and kind of just wrote the sort of key search terms so that there'd be pictures and videos mm. of her performing live to overrun these good on them. Images. Good on them. Yeah, that's... send the Swifties in for anything. I say <laughs> they'll get it done. They get shit done. Swifty army approaching. They do. <laughs> they do. Really and do this, get shit like, done. You know, no one else can organise anything. Like, you know, but the Swifties, they're on it. <laughs> and they will be on it in the next couple of weeks when she's here in Australia. That's correct. But there's also the story of um, MP Georgie Purcell from the Animal Justice Party and Channel 9 digitally altering the image of her on the news, changing oh, this is... her from, like, you know, in a white dress to making her breasts larger and putting a midriff on. and Giving her, giving her a midriff top. like, And then they came back with the, an apology saying it was generated by AI, but experts are saying there is no way that a midriff top was done by AI. That was not done. That would have had to have human interaction. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, what's, who decided this? And if so, what are they trying to tell us? I think they're trying to tell us that this woman is not worthy of our respect or something like that. Because look at how scantily she's clad and she's not at all. And they fiddled with it. So... Like that's what makes me more so distressed about this is just the messaging that comes with the doctoring of this image. It's image-based abuse as well, all of this, and this is something that we've seen before, right? You know, it's been used in, um, you know, uh, sort of pictures that are sent around on mobile phones and how that's used Mm. uh, private images to then weaponise against women. And this is just, I think it's a real, I know that a lot of people think about it already, but I think that talking about it more and acknowledging it and calling it out is continually important because as AI, which is with us 
and is going to continue to get better at what it does, with our help, by the way, mm-hmm. um, is it, it's going to it's going to explode this sort of image based abuse of particularly of women. This is stuff Mostly that doesn't happen women. to, to yeah. men exactly. And it's really fucked and it's really kind of scary thinking about the images that, you know, you or I could have out there on the internet and even if you know it's false and you can prove it's false, by the time it's hit however many people, gone viral, um, then, you know, it's too late. So it's just kind of scary. Very scary. In happier news. Doja Cat getting number one in the Triple J Hottest 100 of 2023. The first female rapper to do so, Miff, and the first woman of colour to get the top spot. So good. So good. Welcome, I say. Welcome to to the pointy end. About about time. Welcome to the present. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big actual countdown for women and non-binary artists. G-Flip broke the record for seven entries by a single act. Non-binary juggernaut also got in at number two with Worst Person Alive, instant classic, um, but just absolutely massive. Is that seven songs? Is that the whole album? Or Pretty are much. Leftovers? The album's back. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. <laughs> and did you hear about Kylie's record as well? Oh, made it in. She made it in, but also the longest time between Hottest 100 appearances, 27 years since she last appeared in a Hottest 100, 1997 with Did It Again, and Did It Again she did, 27 years later, with Padum Padum coming in at number 48. I find that really hard to believe that I Can't Get You Out of My Head did not make it into the Hottest 100. Yeah, that's wild, isn't it? That is wild. There are so many Kylie hits that should have made it into the Hottest 100 that haven't, and I just think that is just... Given, you know, the history and, and all of that, but maybe maybe the world wasn't, Australia wasn't ready for, for Kylie to be in the hottest 100 oh, until now. You know what it was. Okay, 1997, that would have been Impossible Princess, which was quite yeah. Kylie's quote-unquote indie, indie, indie record. album. That was the indie record. And yeah. in 2000 and when was it? 2001, that Can't Get You Out of My Head was, or 2000? Triple J was very much, you know, not playing the pop music that it does now. It was very mm. firmly in the kind of indie, sticking to different sort of genres and nowhere near the sort of pop music that Triple J celebrates now, as it should. So yeah. that, that's why I reckon it didn't make it in. But Kylie releases an indie album and we're all for it. Yeah, welcome back, Cosa. We love you. <laughs> So, so good. I loved it. Um, if you listen to The Hottest 100 and, like me, we're Googling a lot of the artists going, who's this? Then um, a reminder that we are here for you. Double J is going to be bringing in The Hottest 100 of 2003, as in 20 years ago, 2003. <laughs> I would have, I would have d- announced that Hottest 100, I'm sure. I Was that when you were the- doing lunch? Yeah, and I'd be doing the the – because I was in Melbourne and everyone else was in Sydney, so I'd get the the sort of arse end of the the broadcast. So <laughs> so I'd be I'd do like hundred to eighty. I'm sure I've told you this, and sometimes the song wasn't in the library. We didn't play it. <laughs> it was really loose back then. It's like oh well, can't find it. Oh well, because you had to pull it. the CDs. Yeah, it was like it's not there. What am I going to do? Oh well. Bad luck. Were you wearing bootcut <laughs> jeans in 2003? What was your vibe? Oh, I think I was pedal pushers. Oh. Pedal pushers and a midriff top. <laughs> yes. Um, and, yeah, going to lots of dance parties and hip-hop, you know, stuff and, and rock and roll, you know, indie sleaze was coming back in. It was yep. all on. It was a fun time. Fisherman's pants? Yay or nay? Uh, no, that was more 90s for me. Okay. Fisherman pants. Okay. Um, and shopping at Ishka. That was- <laughs> That was the nineties, early nineties to mid mid sort of yeah. Yeah, but very comfortable, those pants. 
Highly recommend. I reckon fisherman's pants are the precursor to those the dropped gusset pants that were big a few years ago. Still very comfortable. <laughs> Don't look good, but still very comfortable woodwear. Amazing. Um, well, yes, if you are listening to Bang On on Thursday or Friday, do join us on Saturday for the big countdown. It's going to be fun. Reliving the past, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, Butterfingers, I love work. I'm just oh! putting that out there. <laughs> I would have Jeez, that. I love work. <laughs> Oh, my God. Number 15, they got in me of how to get no. some <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. That's funny. Crazy. All right. Palette cleanser again after Butterfingers. Yes. <laughs> You've come with a lot of fashion. 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 Well, it was a, it's, a, it's a new year. It's a new page. It's a new dawn. It's a new, new life or whatever that is. And I'm feeling um, good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and with the new year comes new fashion because we don't want to be so last year. Um, and this is something I learned and I wasn't across until the new year. If you want to know what's going to be in fashion for the next year, did you know that Pinterest, you know, that site where people put their pictures of all the things that they love and, yeah. you know, it's sort of like a, it's like a vision board essentially. Pinterest has a trend predictions segment. Oh. And what they do is utilise, and obviously it's all generated by AI and algorithms and whatever, but they utilise what the most popular search terms are and then they can pretty much predict what's going to happen in the next year given, you know, the increase in search terms. So a whole bunch of stuff came out, but in the fashion world. So if you want to go and look that up, that's really interesting. You know, like things, apparently kitchens are going to be really kitsch again this year. Kitsch kitchens. Kitsch kitchens. It's (laughs) called kitchens. Um, There's a whole segment to that one. Uh, Apparently uh, weddings are going to be very 70s. Groovy nuptials is the big... (laughs) Is the big one. Never um, say that again. Groovy nuptials. I know. Isn't that revolting? <laughs> Absolutely revolting. Um, there's all sorts of, uh, there's apparently aquatecture. I don't know what that means. Something underwater. Oh. But yes, um, there's lots of things that will be popular next year. But in terms of fashion, I felt like everybody needed to know exactly what was going on because, you know, you might already be wearing it. So you might as well know that you're on trend. <laughs> Um, Accidentally I think, trendy. I think a lot of us uh, have been wearing what is known as eclectic grandpa for quite some time. <laughs> I love this. What, yeah. what what defines eclectic grandpa? Eclectic grandpa is colourful knitwear, tweed, loafers, patent boxer shorts, oh my goodness, um, sensible sneakers. Bring it. I'm wearing some today. <laughs> yeah, baseball caps and wristwatches. It's uh, basically retro, custom, vintage stuff. Essentially, shit we've all been wearing forever. Just put it all together. <laughs> And there is your eclectic grandpa, because apparently coastal grandma is out. Remember we talked about that last year? Loved coastal grandma. Which was, yeah, well, that was, you know, you could go to your local oppie and, and pretty much pick up, you know, a, a, a tweed jumper or something and a couple of beige things. Apparently that's over. So, cable knit uh, jumper. Yeah, cable knit. That's what I was looking for. I couldn't find the word, but apparently eclectic grandpa is all. Well, you've is, moved on, haven't you? You know, in the woolen vest era of your life. Woolen vest era. <laughs> I mean, and we do know, and and I love that the woolen vest has made it through because I don't know about you, Zan, but um, I get so cold on the torso, but not my arms. <laughs> Um, and I, can I say, to your credit, you've, re, you've resisted the puffer so far. So. Well, that's the thing, you know, like anyone, as soon as they turn like 70, I reckon, all of a sudden goes, fuck it, I'm having one of those sleeveless puffer vests. It's coming. Here it I is. My, my, my mum's got one. Nance, if you're listening, she's got one. They, like, it's just something happens around about 70, I think. It's just like, no, nah, I need it. My torso is cold. 
It is cold. <laughs> so we've gone from that this year, which I'm happy about. It's it's now gone to just a more natural fibre. So um, I'm here for that as well. Yeah. So you know, but still, I don't know what. Maybe yeah. It's it is a thing. You have a cold torso. I've, it hasn't happened to me. My whole body's usually pretty cold if I'm cold. But yeah, keep those torsos warm. <laughs> We start life wearing Spencers, or at least you do if you're a certain age, mm. and then we go through and middle age and sort of younger middle age is like, we're fine, we've got hot torsos, and then as we exit this world and start to, you know, degrade, our torsos get cold again. It's like the cold perfect torsos. bookend. It's so true because they're the gifts you give when a baby's born, just little singlets, little gorgeous cute singlets. That's it. We're back to that. <gasps> Oh, the old adage, we're born as we die. Oh, full circle. See, fashion covers it all. Oh, my God. Some big, big picture ideas uh, mm. in the very first episode of Bang On. Amazing. Mm. You also um, wanted to shout out a bit of mob wife aesthetic as well. Yeah, this is good. Well, I've essentially been doing this forever as well. I'm very happy that this has come back in. But mob wife aesthetic is uh, essentially if you watch The Sopranos, that's the look you're going for, Camilla Soprano. It's uh, fur coats. If you, you know, you know how like fur coats were very, very out because they were animal. But I think now we've come to the conclusion that in actual fact, those animals are long dead. So we might as well pull them out of the 1980s wardrobe that they've been kept in for such a long time and utilize them again because they, they exist. So those fur coats are back, even fake fur coats. Apparently glossy leather. I'm not sure what that means. Um, bit of spit and polish on that. Oh, or, yeah, I can hear that and see that. Yeah, clashing animal prints and lots of gold jewellery. So take yourself down to Klein's, get yourself some cheap <laughs> cheap 80s jewels. Klein's! And, Klein's. and you're in. <laughs> Does I think Klein's ever, does it exist does, anymore? I don't know. Dunklings? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's a memory. <laughs> I think Dunklings. All of a sudden exist. I'm back in the mall. I know. Dreaming I know. of the best friend necklace <laughs> and who I will share it with at school. Oh, what about um, in the mob wife aesthetic, what's your vibe on the the tracksuit, like you oh, know, juicy couture sorry, vibes? that was too loud. It's that. The, <laughs> apparently the, the beige tracksuits and, you know, workout wear and all that, it's out. Get yourself a juicy couture velour. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can quite go back there, but I do appreciate um, the tracksuit look as a whole. Uh, I think that's cosy and comfortable and never chic, though, but I'm into it. It's new money in New Jersey. That's the vibe that you're going for, isn't it? Exactly. Because um, Juliet, po- I, I, I want to say her name correctly, but I'm, I probably won't. Juliet Polkser, who is the costume designer for The Sopranos, said that when she was shopping to hone Carmela's look, which this whole kind of aesthetic is based on, she said that she spent time observing shoppers at malls in New Jersey rather than real mob wives and described her look as nouveau riche suburban housewife. Perfect. Yeah, so that's that's the vibe and essentially it's been me since forever. So <laughs> without the riche, eclectic, just nouveau. Eclectic grandpa <laughs> mob wife aesthetic is what Miff is going to be rocking through 2024. All of it. Put it all on. I am Coco, here for it. Coco Chanel said take something off. I say put it all on. I feel like the bag has become really part, a central part of fashion on Bang On as well and mm. you sent me an amazing um, bag that continues in the tradition of the, um, was it Balenciaga that did the Ikea shopping bag? Oh, yes. For $3, yes, that was good. $3,000 Ikea bag. That was a delight. Well, Louis Vuitton, um, headed up by Pharrell Williams, has, has gone one better. That is correct. For $5,200, you can get a Louis Vuitton bag that essentially looks like 
a sandwich bag. That is essentially what people are calling it. it like came a brown out last paper week. one? Brown paper sandwich bag folded over like mum did, maybe with a bit of sticky tape. This one is brown leather with a little bit of, uh, it looks like gaffer tape really. It's just a little slither to, to keep the contents in. $5,200. Oh, what Woodwear. a bargain. Woodwear. <laughs> I actually really like this bag. Never will wear, but would wear if I could. <laughs> in the description Louis Vuitton, the... where's our sponsorship? Come on. We're, we're influencers. <laughs> we're influencers here. Within the actual description, there's nowhere where you could actually put your lunch, so I don't think it's really for lunch oh. bag. Yeah, they don't show what's what's inside, you know. I mean, is there, there's a, no therm- bag is there a thermos wrapped in a tea towel held together with a rubber band? No. I'm just imagining if anybody would use it for a lunch bag and it reminds me of a, a story that um, I'm not going to say who it is, someone that I know who's very close to me who used mm. to teach at a private school and when mm. they had like um, free dress days or, or mufti days as they call them in New South Wales and on some other parts of the country. Is um, that how you pronounce it? I always call it mufti because it wasn't ours. It wasn't ours. We didn't do that. We did free dress days. Is it Mufti or Mufti? Can Mufti? someone please yeah, send us an email? <laughs> Help us with our pronunciation. <laughs> so on those days where kids didn't have to wear the uniform, um, he said that some kids would turn up in Qantas business class pyjamas. Yes! What a fucking flex. Oh, that's the mob wife aesthetic you want. You don't want the Those are the kids couture. that are taking the Louis Vuitton sandwich bag to school. <laughs> <laughs> that is that kid. Wow. So, so good. Uh, another bag that we talked about a lot last year, it was ludicrously capacious. It is oh, the yes, I forgot about this. bag on Succession has just sold at auction, an amazing auction where HBO have put up a bunch of the props used in the final season of Succession. Mm. How much did it sell for, Miff? Uh, Australian $28,000. <laughs> it was the bag that was mocked by Tom Wamscans, who... Um, it was uh, it was cousin Greg's girlfriend or date that he'd brought to whatever function it was, and she had a, an oversized one of those big Burberry bags. Mm. Called it ludicrously Carpacious, which had the entire world kind of keying in. What the fuck does Carpacious mean? Because none of us <laughs> knew until now, and it's great. But yeah, twenty eight thousand dollars at auction. I'm not sure. Would you? What do you do with a bag like that? Do you? Would you carry it around, or would you put it? I, I just don't know. If you're paying that much for it, so surely you're putting it in some sort of in a glass box. Gla- exactly, a glass cupboard. You're donating right? it to the to the Met. <laughs> An iconic Imagine piece that. of history. I've left my bequeath. It's the ludicrously <laughs> capacious bag. Some of the other stuff that they auctioned off as well was quite funny. Remember the scorpion paperweight that oh. Tom Wamsgans gave to Shiv? Oh yeah, incredible! That sold for ten thousand US. The fake sausages used in Logan Roy's bore on the floor hazing game. Oh, that was awful. Got five thousand US dollars. And interestingly, because Wamsgans, spoiler alert, did a lot better than Kendall Roy at the end of the series. Um, Kendall Roy's Waystar Royco plastic ID badge got six thousand US dollars, but the eldest boy failed to beat Wamsgans, who got uh, six thousand eight hundred dollars for oh, wow. his Waystar Royco ID. Can you tell me about the Winkle Picker shoe? Because you, you oh. texted this to me right oh, this before is we pressed a, record, was, and I'd like we an had emergency, to talk about this. Um, emergency bang. <laughs> Telegram coming through. Breaking I fashion. On, I mean, Balenciaga, they're always trolling us, aren't they? And, you know, they're, they're, they're in a, still in a bit of trouble clawing their way back with Kim Kardashian as their, their new official ambassador. But um, I saw today, this morning, that a new shoe has come through. Uh, Balenciaga, known for their ridiculously oversized sand shoes or sneakers or whatever. 
ludicrously ca- capacious, capacious shoes, shoes <laughs> have now trimmed it down and thinned it out and lengthened it. Uh, I saw a winkle picker. <laughs> And a winkle picker is an extremely long pointy shoe. And if you remember in the late 90s, if anyone was going to, um, uh, uh, if any gentleman was going to a job interview or a court date, you would have seen these long shoes because they were very fashionable back then. It looks like it's coming back. I can't deal. This is an extremely pointy winkle picker though, mm. isn't it? They've really kind of elongated it. It's like the Pinocchio of shoes with that nose, that long oh, into it. Absolutely. And um, I was falsely, I think it's a fa- it could be just a rumour, but I thought Winkle Picker was when these shoes first came in fashion and the gentlemen used to use them to, to fiddle with their lady friends under the <laughs> dining table. Um, and that was with, with the shoe. I mean, looking at the image, I can see how that would work. It could work. It could work. So I thought that was the meaning behind Winkle Picker because that sounds about right, doesn't it? Pick your winkle. Um, <laughs> but apparently Winkle Picker has come from periwinkle snails, which were called winkles, which were a popular seaside snack, which was eaten using a pin or other thin pointed object to carefully extract the soft parts out of the coiled shell. Ooh. So that's it. So that's the, pointed, the info for the shoe. Yeah. And the same practice led to the figurative phrase to winkle something out. This is from, this is from Wikipedia, obviously. And then that was then translated onto the shoe. So I still think my theory stands. <laughs> I do. It's not mentioned anywhere on Wikipedia, but it still stands. I'll put a little link in the show notes so you can see what they look like. I think they're quite cool, Um, although they could take anyone's eye or vagina out at any point, depending on how you're using it. (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) What are you banging on about this week? Oh, I'm banging on about something that one of our um, bang fam banged on about. And summer was sort of, I did a bit of driving because I drove from Brisbane to Newcastle and listened to lots of podcasts and books and things. And um, I finally got around to listening to what was recommended to us, Wiser Than Me, Mm. which is um, the magnificent podcast from Julia Louis-Dreyfus who has sat down with a whole bunch of older women, some of them in their 80s, and essentially just asked for their advice. And it is absolutely beautiful. We've got Jane Fonda, Isabella Lende, Fran Leibovitz, amongst others, Darlene Love, Amy Tan, a whole bunch of them, with just pearls of wisdom, advice. And it's, it's so heartening to hear these women, having lived such extraordinary lives, you know, share their knowledge and it's and I think Julia is amazing in it, and I, I just absolutely loved it. You know, you get you get little pearls of wisdom like, and I can't remember who said these because I was driving, I couldn't write them down. No is a complete sentence mm. was one of the bits of advice. There is no miracle, just do it, like stuff like that. And you go, oh gosh, yeah, you're right. And um, yeah, you got to pay for it, sadly, but I think it's got like an eight day, um, eight day, you know, what, free trial. Of, Free trial, that's the word I was looking, that's the term I was looking for. So you can probably go and do it there, but it's, it might be a bit of a hassle to unsubscribe, which of course I haven't. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I just subscribed to Paramount Plus so I could watch season two of The Gilded Age. Yes, I heard that's out. It's it's out and it's all out. So if you want to do the same as me, I watched it in like two and a half days. Good. But good Lord, it was hard to figure out how to unsubscribe. It's like going into a Las Vegas casino with that shit. How the frig do you get out of there? Yeah. They make it a maze intentionally. So you're just stuck in it forever. But yeah, um, so that's it. Go go listen if you can. Um, what are you banging on about? That's a great reminder. Um, I'm banging on about the new Sofia Coppola film, Priscilla. Have you yes. seen it yet? Yes. Ooh. I saw it the other day. Okay. Did you like it? 
Um, yes, I was troubled. I was very troubled after watching it. Yeah. it's a. I loved it, but I also have been thinking about it a lot, which I think is a good sign for a film that stays with mm. you. For anybody who doesn't know, and I'm, I'm assuming most Bang fan will, but it's based on the memoir by Priscilla herself called Elvis and Me, which was released many years ago. It was made with the approval of Priscilla Presley. And it is the story of Priscilla, unlike the story of Elvis that Baz Luhrmann told, which had Priscilla in it and was a completely different film to this. Mm. Um, but it's very much tapping into, if you know Sophia Coppola's work, she's just a, she's a writer and director who captures the worlds of privileged young women, but women who at the same time feel incredibly trapped. Yeah, it's that gilded cage thing. It's the gilded she cage thing, so absolutely. Well. You know, Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, mm. which actually turns 20 this year. That'll freak you oh, out. Uh, Marie Antoinette is an obvious one. Mm. And the film is kind of, it's suffocating in that way. It's hazy. It's Priscilla's perspective taken from that moment where she meets Elvis on, you know, when her family is stationed in Germany at an army camp. She's an army brat. She's 14 years old. One of Elvis's friends goes into a little kind of American-style diner and taps her on the shoulder and gets her to come over to Elvis's house, which, you know, objectively is pretty creepy. Weird. It's weird, weird. and creepy. Um, and then she has this friendship slash relationship with Elvis where at the age of 17 she then moves to the States and moves into to Graceland. And, of course, they have a child together. They have Lisa Marie, and by the time I think she's 23, they're divorced. But what happens in between is it's just so firmly within her perspective and there's certain scenes in this where you're like, you just feel it so keenly and Kaylee Spenny is just such an incredible actor in this and so is Jacob Elordi as Elvis. Mm. But it's just, it's such a quiet film and it's such subtle acting because there's in particular like one scene where Elvis has just come back from tour and when he comes back in, the whole house is alive again. When he's on tour, she's at home alone. She's very isolated. She's been actively discouraged from getting a job, making friends, all that sort of stuff. So she's really isolated Hmm. um, by design. And then he comes back in and it's all on and there's this boisterousness in the house and there's just this amazing scene where they're sitting on this long table and the camera just zooms in and it's just on her face while all this noise is going around. And you can see she's desperately trying to connect with him and with all the other people who are probably at least 10 years older than her Mm. and just be part of it. And she's just lost Throughout this yeah. whole film, she's just lost. She has until, no agency until she does. Yeah. And it's I just, mean, it, you just feel it. Like as a, as I, I was really interested to know what, you know, and I spoke, I went with my partner and said, what did you feel? Because I feel like the experience of watching that as a, as a woman who would have experienced a lot of these feelings before would have been mm. markedly different to watching it as a man. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, for me, it was like, I mean, essentially it, it didn't say it explicitly, but it was as if Elvis groomed this child. Grooming was a huge part of it. That's what I thought as and, well. And the massive power imbalance that played into that. And it, and I think as, a, as an Elvis fan myself, I think there's a lot about his story that, you know, I was obsessed with it. I've, I've read all the biographies. I've done all this. But this perspective, I guess I, I withheld from reading Priscilla's version and until I'd, I'd seen this because I knew, I knew it wasn't right. I knew there was nothing right about this situation and, and, and the film doesn't 
you know, it doesn't explicitly say anything, but it's so troubling when you see that power imbalance in play and that a young woman can was essentially set up to be a blank canvas for mm. a man who was not given the option of having an, an interior life or feelings or even sexual feelings towards Elvis. He he basically discarded her once she'd had the child, if 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 the film is is correct, because he, you know, he essentially just wanted a you know, women have one role and that is it. And it's, I thought it was beautifully done. And and I think that's why it's just so troubling. It's beautiful to look at, but it's, it feels really, really dark. And it's a real change of the guard in terms of putting our, our heroes on pedestals and these stories that we knew existed and we knew that this all happened, but to have it, have it played out in, in a popular form like film and to see it as like, oh God, this is awful. And as Elvis got more and more large, like he became more cartoonish, it was really interesting. She became more natural, like as she started to find herself. I thought it was, it was like a, a journey through winged eyeliner for me. Like she mm-hmm. started out with no eyeliner and then as she got on, as she became more and more part of his life and, and more and more groomed, she, the, the winged eyeliner got bigger and bigger and the hair got bigger and then it went back the other way. So there was like really, really beautiful touches to it. The design, you know, the, the set design is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is extraordinary. It's, yeah, it's an, it's, it's an extraordinary film. You really see that development of character and just how kind of weathered and worn she is in those, you know, few years that she's with Elvis from the very first opening scenes where she looks like a little child. She looks really young to the final scenes where it's like, fuck, she's seen things. But also one of the things I was thinking about after watching this and in the time since is like, I didn't, I didn't also get a sense of who she was. Like you walk away, not really still after this film, which is called Priscilla, which is based Mm -hmm. on her memoir. It's like, who was she? You well, still that, don't get that sense. And I'm like, yeah. is, was that intentional because she I was so, so subsumed by Elvis and his I think story? So. I absolutely think so. I think she was about to go and begin her story because she wasn't allowed. She had no agency in yeah. that relationship. So I think that that is the point that you don't know her because she doesn't know herself. Mm. And I, I, that's what I liked. And that's what's really unsettling about it is you've just spent three hours watching somebody who has yet to be fully formed. And and there's no chance that she will be until she escapes from this this marriage. There's no Elvis music in it. Apparently, they didn't get the approval to use it from the Elvis, you know, um, people. Even though it was Pris- Priscilla gave it the tick of approval and it was based on her memoir, they weren't able to. But you know what? I loved that because it wasn't Elvis's story, even though he was yeah. such a giant in it. I love the soundtrack is incredible, and I think that having it would become more of a traditional biopic, which is anything but. Um, if you had all these little sprays of, of Elvis, I really liked that there was no Elvis mm. music. You it's know, a cracking soundtrack. It's incredible. And it just feels like the hazy sort of feeling that you watch it is just totally echoed by the soundtrack. You know what I did do, though? I went and saw a matinee because I'm a nana. I saw a 10 a.m. show because I did <laughs> not. I went not. <laughs> Beat that. I w- <laughs> I, I never, I, I'd only, I think we talked about it when it came out, but I'd only ever watched the first 45 minutes of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis on a plane. Mm. And then I just watched it and went and then forgot about watching the rest. So I went home after watching Priscilla and watched the rest of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Oh. And, um, whoa, what a contrast. Contrast. <laughs> and interesting, Colonel Tom Parker is not in this movie at all. No. But his presence, who's the manager, who basically, you know, messed up Elvis's life essentially. Um, his presence is very strong in the movie. He's always on the phone to him or something. But it's an in- there's a lot of interesting choices in terms of the storytelling. Um, what was also interesting was they didn't 
show, you know how she sort of became enamoured with her karate instructor? Yeah. I love that bit because that was when she actually, she herself started to step out. They didn't show that she had an actual affair, which she did. I Googled that for sure. <laughs> which is great. And did you know that Elvis also had a had a kung fu studio built at Graceland as well? Because um, he thought he was pretty shit hot at kung fu. But I think they were just handing out black belts left, right and centre like all his mates who just said yes to everything Elvis wanted. So the Memphis he, Mafia. Yeah. <laughs> So, so good. I loved it. I think it's worth seeing at the cinema as well for that kind of immersive feeling yeah. as well. Just gorgeous stuff. Hey, I was going to mention, um, I forgot to mention at the top that one of the other things that I did at the over the summer break was that I started or continued to clear out the crap um, that I've been storing at my <gasps> parents' house, which they have lived in since 1974, which is why my whole oh. life is there in boxes yeah. and they've not had me clear it out before. But I think they're doing a bit of Swedish death cleaning. Which, well, um... it happens. And my <laughs> mum did it like 20 years ago and said, um, I've been carrying around all your shit for years. Can you please take it away? Yeah, so it's <laughs> happening. You might have seen me post stuff on socials about it, but I feel like um, I might bring in some of my old diaries. I'm looking at you, 1991 May Gibbs Ooh. diary. <laughs> May Gibbs, how, how very wholesome. It's real. But do you want to, I, do you want me to share some of my diary yeah, entries yeah. with you? Oh my god, cannot wait. I would love that. It's never not funny. Okay. Cuz you can see the kind of the kernel of the person even though it's just so wildly different. <laughs> oh yeah, you can definitely see the structure of who I am for better or worse in these diary entries. All right. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll my see. diary entries are always like I did about 5 days really earnestly and then I just forgot. <laughs> Yes, mine are as well. Like, and like, then there was like another entry about a year later when I had a fight with my mum. <laughs> and that was it. There's, that's me in a nutshell. It's got to go somewhere. All right, well, more of that this year and um, more of this silly stuff. It's so good to be back. Yeah, good to be back. I've missed you. I missed you too. See you next yeah. week. See ya. Bye, babes. on.